This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Pete Payne, a pastor at Grace Church. Uh, we're going to take a week off of our 10 words, our 10 commandments series in honor of Father's Day this morning. And um, in case you were wondering, I have the authoritative scoop on the origins of Father Day, Father's Day directly from Wikipedia. Here we go. Father's Day is a celebration inaugurated in the early 20th century to complement Mother's Day. Mother's Day came first in celebrating fatherhood and male parenting. It is also celebrated to honor and commemorate our forefathers. Father's Day typically, now get this, involves gift-giving, special dinners to fathers, and family-oriented activities. The first observance of Father's Day is believed to have been held on June 19, 1910, through the efforts of Sonora Smart Dodd of Spokane, Washington, after listening to a church sermon at Spokane Central Methodist Episcopal Church in 1909 about the newly recognized Mother's Day, Dodd felt strongly that fatherhood needed recognition as well and cited her uh, father, who was a Civil War veteran who was left to raise his family alone. And so they, it, uh, there were some things that went on there in Spokane through the churches and the YMCA and the YWCA. I won't go into all those details, but you do need to know this. It took many years to make the holiday official. In spite of support work from the YWCA, the YMCA, the churches, Father's Day ran the risk of disappearing from the calendar. Where Mother's Day was met with enthusiasm, Father's Day was often met with laughter. The holiday was gathering attention slowly, but for all the wrong reasons. It was the target of much satire, parody, and derision, including jokes from the local newspaper. Many people saw it as the first step in filling the calendar with mindless promotions. So today, we will be celebrating, if you paid attention to the date there, the 100th anniversary of Father's Day. That's today. So happy 100th anniversary of Father's Day. And in honor of our Heavenly Father, who we would really like to honor this morning, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, the letter Paul wrote to the Colossian church. Chapter 1, and we're going to read the entire first chapter. We're going to focus on just a couple verses for the most part, but I want to read the entire chapter to you. Really beautiful chapter. Many commentators think this is one of the most sublime sections of Scripture in the entire Bible. So let's read it together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God 
May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amen. I'm going to apologize in advance. I was, as I was working on this message, uh, it came to me that there was a possibility of alliteration going on here. And I, as I said, I will apologize to you. But I think what the Lord wants us to hear this morning on Father's Day is that he points us, God points us to the passionate parenting practices of Paul as a provision for producing perfect progeny. How's that? Let's try that again. God points us to the passionate parenting practices of Paul as a provision for producing perfect progeny. It is Father's Day. We want to honor the fathers in our midst. We want to honor our Father in heaven. But we want to recognize that as Paul writes this letter, he's a single man writing to a church that he's never been to, that was founded, in all probability, by one of his spiritual sons, Epaphras. So from what we know, Epaphras and possibly Onesimus were the spiritual fathers of the church in Colossae, and Paul had never been there, but he's writing so as a spiritual grandfather to this church. And none of us, not one here, is in the Apostle Paul's category. Obviously, none of us are writing Scripture today. We're not overseeing hundreds of churches and thousands of believers. We don't have that as our call from God. But 
I believe that everyone here, every believer in this room has experienced God's grace as brought through a channel of grace in the form of a spiritual father, mother, or maybe multiple people who have been involved in sowing and reaping in your life. And I believe as well, and we would just cry out as pastors, that every single person in this room as a believer, as we look to spiritual generations down the road, will see many children, many spiritual children who will come to the Lord through the ministry of this church, through your ministry, as you proclaim this word as well. So we think this word is for all of us, and just to underscore that, uh, Kent Hughes tells a story in his commentary here, um, reminding us we don't have to be an apostle or a reformer or a preacher to be involved in this ministry. Some years ago, a woman in Africa became a Christian. Being filled with gratitude, she decided to do something for Christ. She was blind, uneducated, and 70 years of age. Would have been a good candidate for Shane's ministry. She came to her missionary with her French Bible and asked her to underline John 3.16 in red ink. Mystified, the missionary watched her as she took her Bible and sat in front of a boys' school in the afternoon. When school dismissed, she would call a boy or two and ask them if they knew French. When they proudly responded that they did, she would say, please read this passage that's underlined in red. When they did, she would ask, do you know what this means? And she would tell them about Christ. The missionary says that over the years, 24 young men became pastors due to her work. So God points us to the passionate parenting practices of Paul as a provision for producing perfect project. In other words, God wants perfect kids. God sent his perfect son, and his perfect son has a mission to build his church and that his church would grow up in all things to the head. He wants perfection in his church. That's what he's looking for on that day. And I'm going to apologize once again because as I was thinking this through, it even came more clear that alliteration was the the word of the day. So my uh, granddaughters call me Pop-Pop. So here you have this morning, Pastor Pete Pop-Pop Payne presenting the passionate parenting practices of the Apostle Paul on the 100th anniversary of Father's Day, and on that silly note. And then at the end of the first service, I got this note from someone who will remain anonymous. Pete, I was particularly impressed with your preaching performance on potentially paralyzing problems, proclaiming his purpose. We had microphone problems the first service, so it's catching. I'm sorry about that, but... Before we go any further with all of that, let's please pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we thank you for the glory that we see proclaimed in this, your word, as you herald forth your son, who is the exact representation of you, who's the firstborn of creation, who rules all things and holds all things together who created all things and for whom all creation exists. Lord, these amazing words that have come to us, and because of your Spirit's work, we have come to understand them. We just ask that you, as our Father, having adopted us, having brought us into your family, having made us right with you through the blood of your Son, Lord, all these privileges that we have, we pray that just like this elderly woman in Africa, filled with gratitude, 
we would respond. We would respond to your word. We would respond to your spirit's power at work within us. And we would be transformed until that day when we meet you face to face. Lord, we long for that day. We long for your appearing. We look for that day. And until then, Lord, we ask, how shall we live? What shall we do? Give us direction from your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are the passionate parenting practices of the Apostle Paul? I think there are six that we see. There are many, but there are six in this particular section of Scripture. The first one, also beginning with a P, is prayer. Let's read his prayer again. Paul, throughout the New Testament, if you read his letters, there just are many, many examples of the prayers that he prays for the churches. So this is a beautiful prayer, and I would commend it to you. Uh, as a matter of fact, at the end of the service, there are some bookmarks for all of you that have just a paraphrase of this and a thought about just taking this prayer and praying it over your children, whether they're physical children or spiritual children, over the course of this next week. I, I would just encourage you to adopt that practice. D.A. Carson's written a wonderful book on all the prayers of, of Paul in the New Testament called A Call to Spiritual Reformation, and he just goes through all of the various prayers that Paul prays. So here's one of Paul's prayers for his spiritual grandchildren. Listen to this. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And verse 9, and so from the day we heard, basically, of your conversion, of what God is doing in your midst, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Spiritual life is contained in that prayer. If we would pray and cry out to God for those things to be done in the lives of our children, day in, day out, whether physical children, whether spiritual children, we would see the world turned upside down. These verses represent a prayer outline, and I would encourage you to use it. How many of us in our prayers, if our, if our child, for example, is facing a difficult situation, say there's a child in the neighborhood or at school who is bullying him, would not pray naturally, Lord, deliver him from that? I don't think Paul would necessarily pray that because what he says is, I pray that, you would, that they would experience your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So as we get our heads around what Paul would pray for his children, I think we can learn from him. God is at work. Paul would see God is always at work. He's always doing things. And as we tune in to what he's doing, we'll begin to pray these kinds of prayers for our children. Carson, in that book that I mentioned earlier, points out that Paul regularly prays for people. He regularly prays for the churches, and then he regularly writes them letters telling them that he's praying for them and what he's praying. So I'd encourage you to think about that. Do your children know, for example, that you are praying for them, and do they know what you're praying for them? So we're going to follow Paul in his parenting practices. That would be one thing I would just encourage you to think about. Am I praying for my kids? Do my kids know how I'm praying for them? 
in various situations? Do, do they know that I'm praying that they would know God? And not only that they would know, but that they would continually over a lifetime increase in the knowledge of God. And do I tell them, hey, here's what I'm praying for you? Because that's what Paul did. As the chapter ends, we're going to jump now down to verse 28 and 29, the last two verses. There are five additional practices that I think we'll find in this. The second one being in verse 28. Him, meaning Jesus, him we proclaim. So the first parenting practice of Paul was prayer. The second one is proclamation. And this word that Paul uses here, him we proclaim, is very closely related to the word for angel. It's a herald. It's we, him we herald. And I had, I was, I was uh, talking to the first service. I remember as I was going through this, I had for some odd reason, maybe it was because Annie was there that day, uh, my granddaughter, I was remembering Robin Hood, the cartoon version. Have any of you seen Robin Hood, the cartoon version? Well, in Robin Hood, the cartoon version, there's this herald who comes out with a scroll and he, and he rolls it out and he blows his trumpet and he announces something. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. I herald something. If at the end of his announcement, all we can remember is the costume, the shoes that were curled up with bells on the end, the shape of the nose of the person who's bringing the announcement, the, the color of whatever it was that he was, uh, of his trumpet or whatever he was using to draw everybody's attention, he's failed in his duty because what he, he's trying to do is point to something else. I have a word from the king. It's an official announcement. That's what Paul is saying. Here, him we proclaim. We want you to hear this word about him. Imagine if we had a guest speaker up here and one of the three pastors came up and we wanted to introduce this guy. And our goal was that you as a congregation would know this person at the end of our introduction. But if instead of doing that, we just got carried away with talking about ourselves or some other issue. And, and at the end of 30 minutes or so of introduction, we remembered, oh, yeah, he's supposed to be speaking. We would have failed in our mission. So what Paul says is, I proclaim him. The banner that I would wave is the banner of Jesus Christ. It's this, it's this one who is the firstborn of all creation, who is the exact image of the unseen God. That's what I'm waving. That's what I want you to remember. Question for you all, all of you, dads, physical dads, spiritual dads, what are your kids remembering about you? What is known about you as you proclaim, as you walk through life, and as you present yourself, what is it that they remember? Do they remember your work? Do they remember your words, whether kind or unkind? Do they remember which sports team you are mostly in favor? What stands out about you? Or do they remember, oh, yeah, when I think about my dad, my physical dad, my spiritual dad, my spiritual parent, I remember he proclaimed Jesus that was what he stood for. That was the flag, the banner over his life. We had a meeting with the care group leaders, some of the care group leaders on Friday night, and I was just confessing to them, since we've come here to Dallas, the Lord has decided to drop into my life some very unusual things, like my house is getting ready to wash down the creek into Lake Louisville, just minor details like this. We built this building, and we had some very interesting people that we dealt with in building the building. So there were just some interesting conversations and issues. My wife has had some uh, unusual illnesses as we've been here. We've, we just, there have just been a lot of things. There have been a lot of problems. And what I was convicted of this week is I think I've become known as the guy who talks about problems a lot. You know, that's 
when you see Pete coming, run the other way because, first of all, he's going he's to spit a lot of peas at you. Uh, there's going to be a lot of alliteration going on, and you're going to get spit on. But secondly, he's just going to want to talk to you about his house floating down the creek into Lake Louisville. And I, I just felt like the Lord said, look, it's fine to talk about problems. But what do you stand for when people see your face? Do they think proclamation? Him I proclaim. So prayer, proclamation. The third parenting practice of Paul's is pedagogy. Well, now, what is pedagogy, you might ask? It's a word for teaching that starts with a P. So that's the one I came up with. But actually, after I got to that, I realized this is, I think this was the Lord. All these P's were from the Lord because pedagogy is really the art of teaching, the profession of teaching. When I was an undergraduate uh, music major, I was a piano major in college, and we had a class that I never took. It was called piano pedagogy. And basically that class was to help people to learn how to teach. Well, I wasn't really interested in learning how to teach. I was interested in being a performer and I maybe something else, even though my my degree was in music education. So it was a little odd that I didn't take piano pedagogy. But piano pedagogy was all about teaching people to teach the piano to others. And when we got to Denver a few years ago, uh, my two youngest children took piano lessons from a woman who was a master teacher. She taught them uh, all about the piano. She taught them to play the piano, but she wasn't just like your standard piano teacher like I would have been. She had gone through piano pedagogy. She understood how to teach. She knew the literature. She could pull songs. She knew the exact right song for your child at this particular stage of his or her development. She had all these methods that they could not only learn to play a piece, but even if she wasn't there the next month, they could take her method and learn to play a piece by themselves because it was such a good method. She always was preparing them for a presentation. She knew that a recital or a competition or something was coming. And so the way that she would think was, I need to get them ready for that day. But more than that, it wasn't just about performing. It was about something that happened in them. She loved music. She talked about piano and music all the time. She gathered her students together, and they had these meetings with the whole group of them together. When they'd go to competitions, they were like a little uh, football team that would go to various places. They just came together. She loved music, and she imparted a love of music. She was a master teacher. She didn't just want to get them to be able to play this piece on that day. There was much more to it than that. And that's what Paul is saying here when he writes this. Listen in verse 28. Him we proclaim, so that's our we're heralding him, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul has this goal with all of his children and even with his grandchildren. A presentation is coming. And it's not just about a piano recital. It's not just about the taking a thing and oh, she used to do with her piano recital. She'd say, okay, look, we know you're going to have problems potentially forgetting your piece. So I'm going to teach you how to recover from a mistake by stopping and starting in our practice, various things. Paul has the same attitude. He wants his children to succeed. He doesn't want them to get to the performance and have nothing to show for it. He knows that there's going to come a day when every child of God is going to be presented before the Father. And as a, as a passionate parent, he's concerned about that day. He wants his children 
to be well taught. So what does he do? He warns them. That's all about what they shouldn't do. You're on the wrong path. I'm going to move you over to this path. That word that he says, warning, is all about saying, I need to impart to you an understanding of why that way is wrong and this way is right. And then he says, I teach them. And this is an uncommon word for teaching. It means this, teaching and learning with the highest possible development of the student, of the pupil as a goal. It's not just imparting information. It's imparting information with the goal toward, I want him to win. At the end of this, when the presentation occurs, I want him to be a champion. I want him to have the trophy. I want him to fulfill every possible thing that he's been called to do. I want all of his piano skill from my piano teacher to come to the front, and I want that performance to be amazing. Paul is saying, I want every good and perfect thing that God has put into his child to come to full fruition. I want all of it there on display on that day when the presentation comes. I'm passionate that my children perform well, that they present well. Notice the other two words in that verse. He does it with wisdom. Just like Marilyn Howard, my kid's piano teacher, was filled with music. She loved it. You couldn't be around her without talking about music. Paul is full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit. As he talks, as he writes, as he writes these just amazing words about Jesus, you could tell it's just bubbling out of him. And he doesn't want to just tell people about that. He wants them to experience that as well. He wants his kids to be filled with wisdom, filled with God. He wants them to know God as we read in the prayer. And then he wants them to increase in their knowledge of God. He's not satisfied with any, any token amount of, okay, you've got enough knowledge of God. He wants it to be full. He wants all the fullness of God, as he prays in the, in the Ephesian letter, to be in his children and in his spiritual grandchildren as well. And then notice the last word there is present. There will be a presentation. So he, as he writes, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone. He's passionate passionate parenting practices of the Apostle Paul. So prayer, proclamation, pedagogy, and then number four, passionate, persevering, and often painful perspiration. This is hard work. Listen to what he writes in verse 29. For this, all these things we've talked about, for this, this presentation, that's what's going to happen on that day, I toil. And that word has to do with exhausting myself, expending every ounce of energy. It's a word that's used for someone who has been beaten up, who's been been just taken and beaten in a fight, and is, is just absolutely exhausted. An athlete who's expended every bit of energy and leaves it all on the field, as the coaches love to say. That's what that word means. Paul says, "I for this I toil, struggling. That word is where we get our word agonize from. For this I toil. I I pour myself out completely. I leave nothing behind. I am in agony. I agonize over these things. It's talking about striving for the goal. It's the same idea of of a, a marathon runner. We've got three marathon runners in our church that as they tell me, I've never had this experience because I don't think I've ever run more than, how far did I run? Maybe one time I ran a 10K. That's as far as I went. But these guys get to the 22nd and 23rd mile, and they just talk about this agony 
that's going on that I can't even begin to experience. That's what Paul's talking about. I am pouring myself out for this, for this experience of seeing my children and seeing my spiritual grandchildren presented before the Lord in perfection because that's what he wants. Listen to some of the things that that he writes to some of the other churches. To the Galatians, he writes this, My little children, I'm perplexed. I'm again in the anguish of childbirth with you until Christ is formed in you. To the Corinthians, he talks about this daily anxiety for all the churches. And he says, who is weak among you that I'm not weak? Who is, sin- who is a sinner? Who sins that I don't inwardly burn? He- There's a passion in him to see his children change. To the Thessalonians, he talks about being gentle among them because he loves them so much, like a nursing mother with her children. And then he says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become dear to us. You remember our labor and toil. We worked day and night. We can be so tempted as parents as spiritual parents, as care group leaders, as those who, you know, a a new believer comes to the Lord through your ministry, just like this woman we read about. You've ministered to somebody at, uh, at the office, on your neighborhood, and it's a new believer, and they come messy, just like we do, and just like many of us, including myself, still are, still dealing with things. And we can have this temptation to think it shouldn't be difficult to be a parent. Something happens at the age of child turning two. It's demonic, and I just need to wait it out till they get to three or whatever the case may be. It shouldn't be this hard. It should be like, okay, Lord, you said your yoke is easy and your burden is light, but dealing with this teenager, dealing with this new believer who keeps coming back to me, telling me about the same sin over and over and over, it can't be this difficult dealing with my spouse, dealing with my parents, dealing with my boss. It just can't be this hard to try to fill the role of being a spiritual parent or an actual physical and spiritual parent to a child. They're just your kids. I'm just going to let go and let God. You're going to have your way with them anyway. Paul would totally disagree. He wouldn't write that. He wouldn't have written what he wrote. For this, I agonize. For this, I pour myself out. There's something about knowing that the agony that you're experiencing as a parent is shared by the Apostle Paul that I think will bring hope as you're going through it. It's like when we used to run track, and there was just something about if you're running by yourself, you can start to feel like this is stupid. But when you've got a bunch of people around you that are all doing the same thing, and you're all looking at each other saying this is really stupid, it becomes kind of fun to do it that way. It's just like this with the Apostle Paul. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, it's not easy. My experience has been agony. It's been toil to the point of exhaustion. But guess what? Your Father in heaven wants perfect children. He wants His church to grow up in all things to Him who's the head. He wants maturity. He's not accepting no. He's not accepting you can't do this. Listen to what... Winston Churchill wrote as he was in the worst stages of World War II. Germany had taken over basically all of Europe with the exception of the British Isles. And he was speaking to a graduating class, high school graduates at his school, been called. So it's in the darkest days of World War II. And uh, they they are being bombed 
every night. There are bombs coming over from the mainland that they can't even hear. So they don't even know that they're coming, and they hit. And it's just kids have been sent out of, of London. It's just an impossible time. It's a dark, dark time. And here's what he says to these young men. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in, never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. That's exactly what Paul would say. Don't give up. Perspiration is something I give. Blood, sweat, and tears is something that I give. It's to be expected. We're not home yet. Our kids aren't home yet. Don't be surprised. That's the fourth P. Passionate, persevering, and often painful perspiration. It's one of Paul's parenting practices. The fifth one is perfection. Listen to it again, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, the ESV has mature in Christ, the NIV has perfect. And the word here is the same word that is used on the cross when Jesus says, it is finished. God wants finished children. He wants them completely mature. He doesn't want children that are just dabbling around in in their infancy. He wants his church to be fully grown, he writes to the Ephesians, up into the head who is Christ. He wants them full of the knowledge of God, full of the power of God. That's the kind of thing he's talking about. He's not saying, I want children who never make a mistake who live their lives in fear of ever sinning and so they don't do anything because they're just so afraid of doing anything wrong. They live perfectly. They don't do anything that the Ten Commandments say not to do, but they forget, as we've heard Craig week in, week out, saying, but there's an there's a implied do. So don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But what's implied there? Do proclaim Him. Don't misuse His name. Don't Misuse his time. Don't dishonor the Sabbath. What do you do? Honor God with the Sabbath. There's a positive put on. That's what he's talking about here. Take your life, which I found you. You were in dead in your transgressions and sins. I rescued you. I brought you to life through the work of my son. Now, work out your salvation, church, with fear and trembling. Parents, you are responsible to watch over this process. You're responsible to help this happen. I want you to follow these parenting practices of the Apostle Paul because I want perfect kids that follow me, that love me, that are filled with my spirit. I want you to be looking for perfection. And by perfection, I'm not talking about the absence of error. I'm talking about being filled with the fullness of God, finishing the work that they were created to do, thinking of Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. He said to his father in prayer before he went to the cross, I've finished the work that you've called me to do. Paul said, same word at the end, I've run the race, I've fought the fight, I've finished this work that you've called me to do. That's what perfection in our children looks like. We are called to just inspire them, to point them, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ to them, who is the center of all the universe, the person that they were created for, the person that they were created by, the person they were created to worship and to glorify with all of their lives, and then they were given gifts to use for the sake of his body. We're, We're to steward that. So on that day, just like the piano teacher, there's... 
she used to stand in the back as her, as her kids would perform, and she was just ex- so excited when they did well. It wasn't about her performing. She just loved that they were doing well. She was ecstatic about it. Imagine Paul on that day when he presents all of his spiritual children. Imagine you on that day when you present your children. Lord, here they are. Here I am. And these children you've given me, Lord, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the privilege of presenting perfect kids to you. Have any of us bought into lesser goals? They're only human. I'm only human. It's all you can expect. He, she really doesn't have the capacity for that. That's about all the farther they're going to get in their life. I'd point them back to this 70-year-old blind woman through whose ministry 24 pastors are now serving the church of Jesus Christ and say, never give up. Never give up. God's people are meant to be perfected. Every one of them. Paul's emphasis in this, I teach every man and I warn every man that I may present every man. That's the emphasis in those verses. He is not satisfied to see one child left behind. No, that's bad. He won't see one child left behind. This this is exhausting work. It's extraordinary work that we've been called to. It's lifelong work. And really, as you all well know, it's impossible. It is impossible work. Whether you're a care group leader looking at hearing the same confession from one of the guys in your group for the 400th time, or whether you're a parent of a three-year-old or a 12-year-old, or a 15-year-old, and you're saying, oh, you've done this before. Why, Lord? Whatever the place is, it is, as you know, it's impossible. You cannot say, I'm just going to impart the magic pill into my child, my spiritual child, and then everything is going to be fine. It's impossible work. And that's why the final P is so important. And Paul's final parenting practice is power. Power. His power, not our power. Now listen again as he writes this. For this I toil. Now pay attention because he's saying, I wear myself out. I agonize. But how? With all his energy that he so powerfully works in me. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. Jesus says, apart from me, you could do nothing. And Paul, who as an enemy of God, a persecutor of the church, experienced this transforming power of God who took him from death to life, very dramatically written in Scripture, but no less, no different than anything that's happened to any of us. We were all dead. We were all brought to life. Maybe not knocked off a horse, maybe not blinded for a season, but the same process brought us out of darkness and into the kingdom of his son. So the good news is that apart from him, I can do nothing, but Paul writes, with him, through him, I can do all things, including parenting, including this impossible job of parenting. For this, I toil, struggling with all his energy 
that he so powerfully works in me. And this, for us parents, whether spiritual or otherwise, begins with humility. It begins with the recognition, Lord, I can't. You know, it's the very thing that Jesus did when, he, when he, we, we watched the Ten Commandments over the course of Israel's history, broken, 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 broken. Try again, break them, build the temple again, and it it's destroyed again. It can't be done. And so here comes the good news. It's worse than you thought. You've heard that it was said, don't do this. I'll tell you, don't even say an angry word. You've heard don't murder. I say if you've even committed speaking of an angry word. So he's saying, not only is it impossible, it's even more impossible than you thought. But here is one who lived it perfectly, who came and fulfilled every one of those commandments, and who now says to us, he doesn't say, don't worry about it. He doesn't say, just give me your kids. Don't worry about them. He says, look at Paul, who knew this. He knew this power of the Spirit within him. He knew my power. He experienced it. He wrestled with it. He struggled with it, with all my energy. He experienced it. But he's the one saying to you, and I'm saying through him, I want perfect children. I want you to present these kids spotless, without blemish on that day, both in terms of what I have done in them, because I've called them perfect. When I, call, when I set them apart, when I took your children and I took them from death to life, in my eyes, I see Jesus. I see the perfect Lamb of God. And now I call you to work out that salvation, to grow up into Him who is the head, to bring to full fruit all that I've created you to do. And the good news here is my power is available for you to do it. This is not just empty rhetoric. Paul is saying, I agonize. I struggle. I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is at work within me. So we want to close today with this question for you. Are you as spiritual parents? And again, I hope that that ultimately, whether it's true right now or not, I hope ultimately that's every person in this room, whether it's physical children who are also your spiritual children, or whether it's spiritual children that you have been a part of either bringing to the Lord or they've now come to your ministry, to your care, care group leader, neighbor, friend, brother, cousin, boss, employee. doesn't matter what the relationship is. You can be a spiritual parent. Are you in your spiritual parenting experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit? Here's what Jesus said before he went to the cross. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you with this impossible task and no power to fulfill it. But I will come to you. It's the Spirit of Christ. It's Christ in us, Paul says in this very letter. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Where's glory? Glory's on that day when we go to meet with Him. What's our hope of glory? Christ in me, the hope of glory. But that has an outworking, and that is this hard, difficult, impossible work that's made possible by the power and the Spirit of God within us. So we're going we're to conclude. I would love to pray for anybody that is just not experiencing. It's not a matter of knowing. We don't want you just to know that the Holy Spirit's available. We want you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. We want you to be wrestling with it. We want you to feel the energy. That's the word. This energizing power of the Holy Spirit. So that if you're ministering to a two-year-old who will not obey you, you're saying, Lord, I can't, but you can help me. 
with this. You can help me with this, and I'm not going to leave you out of any interaction, no matter how small it is. Or when you're putting a child to bed and you're saying, Lord, I can just put him to bed. I'm exhausted. You're going to remember Paul. You're going to remember this blind woman. You're going to say, what can I do right now to parent this little one as he or she goes to sleep? How can I pray? What is your spirit's power within? How can I experience that wrestling with you, even though everything in me wants me just to crash and go and say, please go to sleep. You've already had 16 drinks of water, whatever the case may be. Instead, I'm turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, what is your power doing? What are you at work doing right now? Or if it's somebody in your care group, you're, you're not a care group leader, you're one of the members of a care group, and your care group leader has said to you, would you mind calling this person once a week for me because I can't keep in touch with everybody. And you're thinking, I can't do this. I, I have the same issues that that person has. But guess what? The power of God is available to you. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ in you is the hope of glory. Absolutely, I would love to do that. Am I capable? Absolutely not. I humble myself. I cry out. I say, Lord, fill me with power to be a good friend of this guy, to be a part of bringing the church, bringing all of your children to you on that day so that you can say to all of us, well done. Let's pray. And if you are desirous of prayer, if you're just not experiencing um, the, the power of the Spirit regularly, it doesn't mean every minute of every day you're going to be thinking, oh, that, that was God, that was God. But there should be an experience of God's power happening in your life at various times in various ways as the Holy Spirit blows through like a wind. And, and in this task of parenting, it's critical, as we hear from Paul. Absolutely, I, I do this, I do this impossible job, but only by the power of the Spirit energizing me at work within me. So pray, we're going to dismiss you. If you'd like to come for prayer, we'll have care group leaders, pastors, any other spiritual parents that are here. We'd love to pray for people. We would love to pray for you and just cry out, Lord, fill us. Fill us with your power. Help us to do this job. Help us to not settle for anything less than you've called us to settle for, which is perfection, which is standing before you on that day, giving glory to your son, proclaiming him throughout this area, throughout the world, and who knows how many people you all are going to touch through your spiritual parenting. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website, Grace Church Frisco dot o-r-g